Hello and welcome to Trek Film Society, the show on Talk Film Society where we take a look at the Star Trek movies, or films if you prefer, uh, with a more critical eye. I'm Mike, and today I'm joined as always by Diego. How's it going, Diego? Hi, I'm alive. It's good that I am alive. That's what I got today. Yeah, I mean, you can say that about everybody, right? Even Spock can say that. Because he's alive. Yeah. Took him a minute there. (laughs) It did. It did, you know. And Marcelo. How's it going, Marcelo? It's going great, Mike. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I don't know why I said that. (laughs) I'm always here. (laughs) Thanks for having me on your network. Oh, no problem. Diego, great to talk to you again. (laughs) Yes. It is also those things, I feel. Uh, yeah, it's great to be alive. I want to get that across. Um, uh, listeners, I hope you're alive too. Yeah, but if you're not, it's kind of cool, kind of weird. Tweet uh, us and tell us how that's possible. <laughs> yeah, what's the afterlife I like? Know. Yeah. yeah. And how can we bring you back? Do we have to go to your home planet and do like some kind of weird ritual to get you back? Um, tell us. Let us know. Yeah, yeah let us know. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the fourth film in the Star Trek saga and the third film in the made-up trilogy, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. But before we get into that, should we talk about this week's episode? We should. We okay. should. Uh, this week's episode is commonly considered to be the Citizen Kane of Star Trek, the best episode ever in the history of Star Trek. Star Trek, the original series, season one, episode 29, depending on how you count City on the Edge of Forever. So, um, yeah. I don't know. Does someone want to give a description of this episode? Uh... It's. I'll say Diego try. <laughs> oh, that's what you'll say. Okay, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, let me just start by saying this absolutely is one of the best, if not the single best, episode of Star Trek ever. And it's kind of like also Wrath of Khan, where it's like, yeah, that's the pinnacle of what this thing could be. But it's also not the only thing it should be. I always feel like I have to add that little asterisk in there, because this is a far more serious Star Trek by the end. For those that haven't seen it, I guess, just um, that the brief synopsis is that out on the, the, the outer edges of space, the crew of the Enterprise discover basically like a, a being that allows them to uh, travel back in time. And uh, it's, I believe this was written by Harlan Ellison. Did I get that right? Yes. And we can get into that. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, Who is a great science fiction writer, but also notoriously uh, has dabbled in some very heavy material. Do we want to jump into that now or later? Because I I want to make sure we're thinking about... I'm thinking about the right person. I, I may be dumb. If someone explained to me Harlan Ellison... Harlan Ellison is a very, very well-regarded science fiction author who's won a billion awards. He's considered to be one of the best ever. He, like, wrote, like, a couple of the best Outer Limits episodes, which were, you know, then sort of ripped off by James Cameron for uh, Terminator, sort of. (laughs) Uh, I mean, and and, and all the rest of it. Um, Even at the time. He was considered to be one of the absolute best science fiction writers. Uh, And he is also, uh, uh, well, let's just say um, short-tempered, not willing to put up with any BS, completely willing to speak his mind, and, uh, you know, he, he, he does his own thing. And when he's trying to do something for something like Star Trek, then it's kind of hard for him to do his own thing. And uh, then, you know, problems occur. And in the case of this, they got him to write an episode of Star Trek. They got a lot of, like, top-tier talent to write episodes of the original series. Like, I mean, the best in the biz, you know? And... He was one of them, and he started writing this. I mean, this was season one. He started writing this before, like, any episodes had aired. So because of that, I mean, with any TV show, it's hard to know, like, what 
the show is that you're writing for, uh, you know, when, when you start writing it. And he did his own thing. And um, for one thing, it took him forever to do it. So by the time that he was done, uh, you know, they were really, I mean, this is like the second to the last episode of the the season. And that's because it took him so long to write it, right? But even after he wrote it, you know, you look at it and you're like, well, that's brilliant, but it doesn't really fit with the show. So then it needed to be rewritten by, uh, well, Gene Roddenberry, and then it was later revealed DC Fontana also rewrote it. And Ellison was not happy. He has completely disowned this episode, but he has also um, retained the rights to his original screenplay and he has published it as a script, but also uh, as an audio drama and as a beautifully painted comic book. So like there are, you basically can choose your, your medium to digest his original story and see like what it was that he intended. And I, I highly recommend doing that. I would say probably go with the comic because it's, you know, it's an officially licensed comic and everything. It's really cool that they actually went and did this. And I'm not going to say that one is necessarily better than the other. I think that both of them are really good and they both have pros and cons. I, I think it's, it's definitely true that like Ellison's story probably works better if it was just a thing on his own. But as an episode of Star Trek, you need to modify it in order to get the characters right. You know, like there's some stuff that like Kirk in particular does that maybe he wouldn't do in the reality of the show. So you have to alter the story in order to make it fit. Anyway, it's crazy. There's, I mean, he wrote a whole book about the behind the scenes, you know, turmoil in this single episode. Uh, And and I would recommend checking it out, but yeah. Uh. What were some like big, we don't have to get to every little difference, but what, what were some big differences between the original and, and the episode? The, 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 I guess there were three things. I mean, and I could be wrong about this, but there were three things, basically. Uh, one was that instead of um, uh, Bones accidentally injecting himself with this stuff and then you know going crazy and jumping through the thing, um, there were actually um, a couple guys on the Enterprise, like crew you know like lower decks crew members who were like dealing like illegal drugs right (laughs) so so like you know they they sold some to like and it wasn't it wasn't bones who who went through it was like a random crew member who went through right so some drug dealers (laughs) yeah right like a drug dealer sold it to this guy or they got in they're like let's try some of this stuff and then they tried it and then jumped through the thing and then that was um so that was one the second one was um there was this this subplot, which was, I mean, pretty cool, which this is the thing that, like, killed Ellison. It was about, like, a World War One veteran who was, like, selling pencils or something like that. And, like, he, he, like, he lost his legs in the war and everything like that. And um, it, it was all about how, like, basically society had kind of cast away this guy who, you know, was extremely important you know he i mean he was like a, a hero right you know i mean he fought in world war one and uh like i think he's the guy who like gets disintegrated you know by the the phaser oh, and yeah. the idea behind it is like his erasure from history had like no impact on the future because society had like thrown this guy away you know like it, that was kind of like the thematic i could be getting the details wrong there but thematically that's basically what it was about so so that that was the thing that really killed ellison that was missing and then the third thing which is probably the most significant is uh the climax of the movie or the the episode where uh instead of kirk realizing that he needs to let edith keeler go he needs to let edith keeler die because you know the future depends on it he basically says screw it i don't care i'm in love this is the first time that's ever happened i'm going to throw away the future in order to save the woman i love and it's spock who steps in and says i can't let you do that Uh, so you know 
That's okay. basically it. Those are the differences. But check out the comic. It's it's definitely worth. I mean, it's a very quick read, but like it's like fully painted. It, it looks beautiful, and and it really does give you an idea of what this episode would have been like if it were filmed. So. And you said it was licensed. It was licensed by Star Trek. It's an official Star Trek thing. Yeah, it's it's an official thing. Um, it, it's really cool. It's just I think it's just called City on the Edge of Forever, the Harlan Ellison script or something, or it's something along those lines. But yeah, you can get it as like a paperback. I mean, you can get it digitally and stuff too. So yeah, definitely yeah. check it out. Yeah, yeah. And the episode itself. Um, Without uh, considering the madness of Ellison, <laughs> I, I I love this thing. It's been just enough time between me watching it for the first time and now to just it was almost like watching it new. And I'm sure I thought this back then when I first watched it, but like so uh, so much time travel stuff since then in fiction. I'm sure it has to owe so much to this, right? Because you can't watch this and not think of like. Back to the Future, and for me, Back to the Future Three just stole this whole plot, <laughs> and, <laughs> and maybe maybe that ending uh, is maybe a nod to Ellison's original ending because Doc says, "Fuck it, I'm gonna save her, <laughs> gonna, gonna, gonna save this woman I love." So screw the future. Um, but yeah, I, I it's it's a beautiful story. It's one of my favorite Star Trek episodes, and like I was just emotionally distraught by the end because does it i mean it it works on every level as a science fiction story and as a character drama and shatner is like what some of the best i've ever seen him in this is at the end of this episode it's a fantastic performance so yeah i love it love this what do you think diego yeah, th- th- this is every bit as good as as people have heard and again i really want to reiterate that this isn't the only thing Star Trek should be with its tragedy, but I also think it's important that Star Trek does address that, like, a, a good future is possible for humanity, but sometimes that's going to be, like, there are going to be unfair sacrifices along the way that, that are not just, but the, the needs of the many, you know, that, that thing from, yeah. from Wrath of Khan. And uh, it's, it's a really beautiful story, just like as its own thing. It, it, it's, it is the peak of Star Trek um, storytelling, I think, you know. And uh, watching it in such close proximity to Wrath of Khan, I'm like, wow. And, and Ephraim and Dot, of course, which is like only growing more, like I'm growing more in love with it. Like with each passing day, I'm just like, wow, like Star Trek's the shit, man. Like... Being yeah. able to tell like the variety of stories like this, and and all kind of having like this unifying theme of like people and togetherness, and uh, it's just uh, it's really making me happy to be able to revisit these. Um, I also want to shout out the uh, I, I love the old Technicolor look of the original series, and uh, like the, the the time portal thing that I don't think ever is named properly in this episode. Uh, I just love the look of it. It's completely like just almost like humble, you know, like it's nothing like it's not some fancy gizmodo. It's just like here's a bunch of like styrofoam rocks and there's a time portal in it and that's it. There's no flashiness to it. It's just kind of there. (laughs) And I've always loved that. Yeah, I just realized it's called the Guardian, right? That's what it's called. Yeah, yes. the Guardian of Forever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And and that was another change. Like originally, like in his script, there were like three guardians, and they were like more sort of like omnipotent being sort of things. But you know, whatever. I mean, that's who cares. I mean, Mike. I mean, you, would you where would you place this on your like list of best Star Trek episodes? Um, it's high. Uh, it's not at the top. Um, the thing that I think I, I have, and this is sort of like my own personal hangups in a sense, is like lots of times when I'm thinking about like the best, I confuse that with like quintessential. And uh, this episode, you know, as great as it is, like to say like, oh, this is the best episode of Star Trek. This is the one that you should watch. I kind of feel like it's not because 
half of it takes place in 1930, you know? And it's like, well, how is that, you know, I mean, you're not on a spaceship, you know You know what I mean? And, and I'm not saying that that's like a criticism. It's just like if you're trying to like show people like what Star Trek is, this isn't necessarily that. And I think because of that, it's me sort of like, I don't know, confusing good with like quintessential that that sort of i can't get around that um and that's my own personal thing um but it is interesting when you look at that in relation to this week's movie uh yeah. voyage home because in a lot of ways voyage home is the same deal and i, I don't know i think that's interesting like i i mean you know, we picked this because it's like, oh, time travel, it's a good fit. But like really watching these two together, even though the tone is very different, like it, it really is a nice companion piece to Voyage Home, you know? Yeah, it's it's a perfect um, like companion. <clears throat> and this is something I want to ask right away because we, we, we talked about this on the Wrath of Khan episode, right? How much... Uh, Nicholas Meyer is a fan of Star Trek or how much he cares about it. Yeah. Um, not much. Not much, right? <laughs> now, I don't know if this is true. This is just me just pulling, because I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here. Like, in my head, I'm like, oh, Nicholas Meyer in doing homework for, and, and I'm sure you'll tell me in a second why, a second here, uh, Mike, why Meyer came, Myers came back. But in my thought, I'm like, oh, Nicholas Meyer, he just watched City on the Edge of Tomorrow. And that's it. And he goes, I'm just going to remake that. Done. <laughs> so it's a, it's like he he understands that that episode is like a classic episode. Much like when he worked on Wrath of Khan, he goes, oh, you know, that episode of Khan is a classic episode. Why not just like take that those elements from that episode and just like expand it out to a feature film? And I, I not to jump ahead, but I'm perfectly fine with that. It may <laughs> not be Star Trek like we all know. Like kind of like what you guys were saying, like Diego was saying, it's it's an element. It plays the elements, but it's not really what it should be all the time. It's a nice diversion for me. Um, but anyway, that's that's my point. Like, yeah, that's why I think it's like a perfect companion piece with City on the Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that um, Meyer can be credited with it in this case uh, because I think he came on pretty late in the process. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, that that was certainly something which was thought of. It, it's interesting, though, the actual... Because they talked about using the guard. I mean, all the time. You, you'd never believe... Well, you would believe how many times <laughs> um, the Guardian Forever almost made it back on the screen, right? Whether it was in a movie or Next Generation or whatever. And, and it did make it back on the screen one time, and we will be seeing that one time, but I won't uh, divulge where that is quite yet. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think what you're saying is is accurate. Uh, you know, I think that they they wanted to do a time travel story. They wanted to do something where there wasn't a villain, right? I mean, City on the Edge of Forever, no villain. Star Trek Four, no villain. And, um, you know, they wanted to say something about today. And, uh, using time travel as a as a device, uh, I think is a, is a great way to do that. It's interesting though, and I, I think this is super cool. The device that they use for time travel in Star Trek Four is something from the original series. They used it twice in the original series. Um, I think first there was an episode called "Tomorrow Is Yesterday," and then where they accidentally slingshot around the sun and end up back in time, and then they do it again for like deliberately in an episode called Assignment Earth, which is a really weird episode, which was designed as a backdoor pilot for another show starring Terry Garr. Um, so <laughs> uh, check that out because it's good and weird and cool. And That's the uh, original series? Yeah, it was the season two finale, which they thought oh. at the time was going to be the series finale. And then because of the letter writing campaign that the fans did, they got another season. Um, so yeah, is that, that's just kind of an interesting little thing, but as far as like whose idea this was or whatever, how this came about, uh, I guess we could get into that. Um, after Star Trek three, which was another huge success, they were like, yes, we do want to do another one. And, you know, Leonard Nimoy, you know, established himself as a, as a solid director with Star Trek three. So they, you know, 
didn't have any problem bringing him back to direct Star Trek Four. Um, but after going through the death of Spock and the rebirth of Spock and everything like that, they were like, uh, let's do something a little bit lighter. And Paramount, you know, Star Trek was one of their, their biggest franchises, right? But one of their other biggest franchises in the 80s was Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And Eddie Murphy is a huge Star Trek fan. And they were like, what if we put Eddie Murphy in a Star Trek movie? And that's what they were going to do. Basically, the character of Jillian was going to be Eddie Murphy. And the story was completely different. Like, he was going to play, like, a professor who was, like, a conspiracy theorist who, like, you know, was convinced that aliens were real and the government was covering it up and everything like that. And then he encounters the crew of the Enterprise and is like, I was right. You know, I mean, that was basically the plot. And they hired a couple of guys who I think hadn't really done much before to write a script and it didn't really work for whatever reason. And, you know, the, the idea of putting Eddie Murphy in a, in a Star Trek movie kind of went away. And I think it was Nimoy more than anyone else who was like, I want to do something about, you know, the fact that we're killing off whales and everything and how that, you know, what we're doing to our ecosystem and everything. And then they came up with the idea for the whale movie. And, the way that it was written was really kind of weird in that Harv Bennett, the the lead producer guy who wrote Star Trek three, he, well, he and, and Nimoy worked on the, the overall story, but when it came to the script, Bennett wrote the bookends in the future. And then they hired Meyer to write all of the stuff in 1986 so it's kind of this weird thing. And the thing about that, <laughs> you know, they brought back Meyer because Meyer was Nicholas Meyer. And they're like, hey, you want to do this? And he's like, fine. You know, because, yeah, he's like, I couldn't couldn't be involved with, you know, resurrecting Spock. But once he's back, I don't have any problem writing for the character. You know, whatever, let's do this. So, so they brought him back. But Nicholas Meyer's first movie is... Time after time. That's right. <laughs> I just remember that. Yeah, a movie I still have not, I have not seen, but thought about it a lot just by watching this. So, yeah. <laughs> have you seen it, Diego? I have not seen it. No, I'm missing out. Yes, you guys are missing out. Oh yeah, I know this it's good. Yeah, the movie okay. is fucking awesome. It's H.G. Uh, Wells played by uh, Malcolm McDowell and Holy Jack, fuck. and Jack the Ripper played by David Warner. Yeah. What are, the fuck? Yeah, they're hanging out in like, you know, 1863 or whatever it is. I don't know. what. And, you know, they're like, hey, you know, and H.G. Wells, who doesn't know that Jack the Ripper is Jack the Ripper, right? He's like, hey, check out this cool time machine that I built. And Jack <laughs> the Ripper's like, that's amazing. I'm going to use that. So he uses it, right? And and travels ahead in time to like 1975 San Francisco. And now H.G. Wells is like, oh, shit. You know, and then he gets in his time machine again and, and then, tr- tr- you know, chases after him. So it's H.G. Wells trying to stop Jack the Ripper in 1970 San Francisco. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's awesome. And and they actually just did it as a TV show. Kevin Williamson did it as a TV show, which was canceled uh, recently. Yeah. And it's <laughs> it was pretty funny because Meyer did not have anything to do with the TV show. He he was at a uh, he was doing like a lecture at the University of Iowa, and this was like right when that was about to come out, and Discovery, which he worked on, was about to come out. And uh, he gives a lecture, and he's like, "Okay, time for questions." Um, he's like, "I can't." say anything about Star Trek Discovery or else I'd have to kill you. And I can't say anything about the new Time After Time TV show or else I'd have to kill myself. (laughs) 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 But, you know, I haven't seen it. Um, But the movie is great. And, And I mean, you look at it and he knew, right? He knew that he was basically making the same movie. Like even back then, because they both take place in San Francisco. And he's like, just so you guys know, like I... I just made this movie like 10 years ago. Um, could we like change it? Like, could we make it like 
Paris? And they're like, no, San Francisco, it's like the Star Trek city. We got to put it in San Francisco. And he's like, shit. So, so you look at it. I mean, he really did do like a find and replace, you know? I mean, it's like the same movie. And it, it would make a really great double feature. I highly recommend it. It's awesome. And uh, yeah, especially since you just watched this, check out Time After Time. So. Yeah, I yeah, like I said, I thought about it as I was watching this. I go, oh, I still haven't seen time after time. <laughs> Damn it, kicking myself because I had a good time watching this. That's what I want to say. Um, shoot, Obi, are we going to dive into it now? How much? Of, well, I'm trying to think of any more behind the scenes backstory stuff I want to ask. I don't think I mean, there's in. Well, yeah, no, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, we we could always just go more into like how Harlan Ellison was a crazy person. <laughs> okay, like, go back to that's that. Just, that's just genuinely like fun to talk about. But yeah, I, th- I think we could just dive into the movie now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like there, I, there, there there was one one, one Harlan Ellison thing. Um, my friend, he was at Dragon Con one year, and my friend got on an elevator, and he was on there, and uh, my friends like this elevator smells like chicken McNuggets. <laughs> And then Harlan Ellison's like, yeah, you know, they pump that smell into the restaurant so that you want to buy chicken McNuggets. And then he got off the elevator and that was it. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, just for, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but anyone interested in Harlan Ellison stuff, he also wrote a great uh, short story called I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream that will fuck you up. <laughs> and... Um, it's terrific, and look up his uh, stuff on the Vietnam War opposition and uh, Agicon. That's all I'll say about that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another. Sorry, sorry, not to turn this into the Harlan Ellison podcast. No, no. But, I mean, when are we um, going to get to do this again? <laughs> there, there, there is another thing. He, he did like a lot of like. You know, he wrote for a ton of television back in the 60s and stuff like that. And, you know, not all of it got produced. And one of the things that he wrote, which never made it to air because the show was canceled, was a Two-Face episode of the Adam West Batman series. Oh. oh. And you can get that as, again, you can get it as a as a script or as a comic. So uh, check that out. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Yeah. What are we talking about? Star uh, Trek. This movie. Okay. Star, Trek Star, 4, Star Trek 4, The Voyage yeah. Home. The Voyage Which Harlan Home. Harlan Ellison had nothing to do with. Wait, Harlan Ellison had nothing to do with, yeah. Yeah, Diego, what do you think about this? All right, so I was kind of egging you guys on earlier about, like, maybe this this isn't that good of a movie coming off Star Trek 3, which is fine. It just kind of sucks the air out of itself by having to be all about resurrecting Spock and undoing... Um, a great film from existing. Uh, well, not even from existing. Just like I don't know. It's just it's, this, Star Trek Three is a weird movie. Disrespecting Star- the themes of Wrath of Khan. I don't even know about like disrespecting. It's just like that's how I see it. Uh, I mean, kind of. I guess. But, like I don't know. It's not that. I don't think it has that much like uh, <laughs> commitment to that. To even <laughs> disrespecting. It's just kind of like yeah. we like Spock. I like Spock too. You know what else I like? <laughs> Whales and Star Trek Four actually kind of owns. This is a great film, and it's a great time. And uh, I, I am rarely happier watching anything Star Trek than when I am watching Star Trek Four. Oh so gosh, yeah, right. surprise! I, my, uh, yeah. my twist on this episode is that I really like this movie. We yeah, we were talking off mic about it slightly, and I was worried Diego was going to come in hot and just say he did not, he did not like this movie, and I was going to just. I was getting ready. I was going to get ready, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I love I love this movie, Mike. You? Yeah, I, I, I like it a lot too. Um, you know, when when I first saw the movies, I was like, "This is the best," you know, whatever. And as my as as you know, I've grown up. You know, I I don't like it as much as I used to. I still think that it's really solid. Um, I do like the fact that even though it is a comedy and even though it does have all this goofy stuff in it, it does have like a really strong message to it and everything. Um, It's weird because like, you know, I talked last week about like talking shit about Star Trek three on Twitter and all the Star Trek fans being like, fuck you, this movie rocks. Well, kind of the opposite happened this week. Like I, I, I was watching Star Trek four and I was like, this uh, 
HD transfer is like up there with like the worst HD transfers in the history of HD. You know, I mean, it's like basically looks like a wax museum. It's DNR to hell. There's like no detail on it. I mean, it's just like this like blob of like frozen grain. It's it's terrible. And then like someone's like, uh, well, I guess that's fitting since that movie's the worst. And I'm like, uh, Boo. who are you talking to? Who are these people? It's just, you know, Star Trek people. You know, I'm 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 uh, really really big into the Star Trek Twitter. You know, it's a small, it's a tight knit community. And I'm like, that's a weird thing to say. Um, have you seen Insurrection? And then, <laughs> but then there were like other people who jumped on. They're like, oh yeah, no, Insurrection is totally better than Star Trek Four. Star Trek Four is garbage. And I'm like. What's going on here, guys? Oh, what the hell's going on? I don't First understand. Off, Mike, you're, one thing I'll disagree with you on is how, quote-unquote, bad this movie looks, this this HD master. I was watching the Blu-ray on my big screen, and I was impressed by how well it looked. I don't uh, know which, I mean, we're watching it on iTunes? I, I was watching it on iTunes, but it's the same transfer. I mean, this, yeah. okay, I mean, like, it... It looks very shiny, um, but that's because they like scrubbed all of the grain off of it, and like there's like there's literally a shot in this movie where like it's right at the beginning where they're all like all lined up and there's like a guy who like walks behind Sulu in the background and the DNR the digital noise reduction is so heavy that it thinks that. Sulu's cheek is actually this guy's face and for like two frames there's a chunk of Sulu's face which is missing and replaced with this guy's face I'm like gonna- Gonna try to find this moment here. I'm just gonna be. Yeah, good you, Lord. <laughs> you have to go. You have to go frame by frame in order to see it. Like, okay. but but just I mean, like you look at any any shot. Like, okay, uh, this is the, the the part that like just blew my mind watching it this time when they're about to travel back in time and they're on the bridge of the ship and the 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 whole place is shaking. Half of the ship is not shaking. Like the 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 ship itself is like staying still while like the lights on the wall behind it are shaking because it thinks that it shouldn't be shaking. It's like correcting itself to the point that it's not even moving the the background because it thinks that it's grain. It's terrible. It's mm. one of the worst transfers ever in history. It is so bad. So so bad. It's up there with with the predator the the, the pre- that, that which is thankfully gone now but yeah. Oh and, yeah, that one was and they, the 4K uh, like fixed that, right? I yeah, haven't got yeah, that yet, yeah. but No, the 4K is fine. It's it's back to how it should okay, be. Okay. That see, Blu-ray, they look like plastic army men. Exactly, and that's what they look like here. Like anytime you see a close-up of anybody, like oh, there's no detail on their faces. They look like wax figures. It's terrible. Uh, maybe I'm just <laughs> fucking stupid. My eyes are dumb, but I I don't know what it was. I watched this on the big on my TV on my biggest TV, and I'm like, this is pretty good looking. I had no I, I don't know what's wrong with me. Again, well, I'll tell you what saves it for me is that Leonard Nimoy is just a genuinely talented director. Oh yeah. So like stuff like that is easy to overlook when I'm like that invested in like the blocking of the actors and the characters, the framing of the images. This was nominated for best cinematography, I think, at the Oscars. Was it? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy, right? I mean, yeah, like that's like a Batman Forever being nominated (laughs) level of weird. Yeah. Not that I'm unhappy with either of those, by the way. I do honestly think all of the San Francisco stuff is like really well shot. Even though a pet peeve I have of this of this movie and like any movie is like if they're shooting on location and they reuse like popular monuments over and over, mm-hmm. like in this movie where they walk in front of the Golden Gate Bridge at least like ten times, <laughs> <laughs> it's always in the background. Yep, it's like they were just shooting in like a in like a one block area, just like with the Golden Gate Bridge in the background. That was kind of annoying, but other than that, like. It's uh, I I love how well this is shot and 
Yeah. Um. What else can I say? And maybe I just didn't notice notice the DNR and the bad master because I was just laughing so much, just enjoying myself. I was like, the moment when Kirk uh, goes to the pawn shop and sells his glasses, um, and the guy goes, "Okay, I'll give you hundred bucks for this," and Kirk goes, "Great." And there's a beat, there's a pause, and he goes, "Is that good?" <laughs> At that point, I laughed out loud, and then I was like, "Oh God, this is I- I'm in." And then I laughed at least out loud, like, I don't know how many more times. Like, almost every joke landed for me. And, yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in there. I mean, a lot of the, the humor does really work. You know, the stuff with Spock, you know, where he's trying to integrate in society. And uh, for some reason, when I was in junior high, I read the novelization of this. I, I don't know why. And, and there's like... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I read the novelization of Mars Attacks when I was a kid, so... <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, there was like a whole subplot in the, in the book, which was actually pretty good, where like... Um, Spock gets drunk on sugar because wow. like like they give him like a peppermint patty and he's like, oh yeah, this is pretty good. And then he starts like acting all crazy and Kirk's like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, was there like sugar in that thing? And Kirk's like, yeah. And he's like, Vulcans get drunk off of sugar. Like you didn't know this? And then, yeah, I don't know. You know, is they, that, just, uh, is, that, is that canon? I, I don't think so. I don't think um, so. But uh, it should be because that's amazing. Be. It could be, and you never know. You never know. Um, Next factor. season on Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it, it does work. Uh, the humor is good. It, it flows really, really well. I think the supporting characters, you know, are, are really solid, and uh, it does tie it all into like their. their I mean, it, it's really only an hour that they spend in the in the past you know i mean almost half the movie is in the 23rd century and you know that stuff at the end where they they get the enterprise and everything i mean that that works for me that works really well it's like a a a really great sort of like triumphant end to this uh to this story you know yeah i I will say that end works in uh, it works a lot better than i think this may be a bit too mean sounding, but the ending of this movie, that moment when they get back the Enterprise, when you see like the A, right? I, I don't know the number. Sorry, but it's Mike. What Seven, is it? 1701. Uh, dash A, right? Yeah. That's the new one. That mm-hmm. moment is better thematically than the entirety of Search for Spock for me. Yeah, I agree. So, Oh, yeah, it, I, yeah. I think just for everyone, like that's, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the... It's so like there's that's, no contest. Yeah, I just want to make that perfectly clear. Yeah. I love, I love that ending. I just want to just in the future, just like maybe go from Wrath of Khan to just straight to this. Just, just, just maybe watch like a minute best of real of <laughs> of part three, uh, because um, God, I love this ending and I love the entire movie too. You know what's weird about that ending? And I mean, maybe I'm dumb here. I, I not not understanding it, but like. They were talking about like um, the way that humor translates to other countries and stuff like that. And there's that line at the end when they're about when, when they don't know what ship they're going to get, you know, whatever. And, and Bones is like um, the bureau, the bureaucratic mentality is the only constant in the universe. We'll get a freighter. <laughs> and I, I've always thought like. I don't know what that means, you know? And I don't know if I'm alone in this or not. It sounds like I'm not. It sounds like most of America is like, I don't know what he just said there. But apparently, (laughs) when this movie played in Russia, that line killed. Like, that Uh, brought down the house. I don't know why, but... Um, there you go. Um, just a, well, just a weird little thing. I don't know. Whatever. What I'm going to say is uh, Diego analyzed that. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever Marcelo has trouble with something, I'll just I'll, I guess I'll just pick up the slack. Uh, I, I guess it's because freighters are like ugly and they're just hauling like yeah goods for other people. You know, maybe that's it. You know, they're basically just like get left over with the scrap. So the fact that they do not get that is kind of a. A triumph in and of itself. 
and here's the thing, which I guess we can get into more next week, but like the bridge is obviously a brand new design and they tweak it like later on and we only see it for like two seconds here. So it's like, what, what are you going to say? But like yeah. the ship is the same, like they literally just like painted an A on it, you know? I was going to ask this. My, my next question, Mike, was, I mean, does, does, does the Federation, do they just make the same type of ship over and over? I mean... Well, in the original series, they did. Like, literally every single Federation ship you see in the original series looks like the Enterprise because they weren't going to be building any new models, you know? Yeah. And and that actually came up. I'm not going to spoil it, but in, in uh, Picard, there's a scene where everyone's like, this is where we're going to get to see the Star... You know, the, the, the uh, Starfleet, you know, the entire Starfleet with all the new ships. It's going to be amazing. And then you see, like, one new design and everyone's like, what's this lazy bullshit? shit you know and it's like well they were trying to make it in the middle of a pandemic so you know cut cut them some slack you know but yeah. um but you, you know it's like it, within next generation era you're known for having like a billion different starships but he, back in the original series there really was just one but I, I if i'm not mistaken the the ship is supposed to be like a new like it's supposed to be bigger than than the original Enterprise and all that stuff. It, I don't know. I mean, I guess they just didn't want to build a new model, which yeah, seems because weird. I felt like it was the old model. It <laughs> is the old model. Yeah. No. No. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 the old model. It looks like the old model. It's just supposed to look like the old model. At least, did they? I mean, did they even try to like put a new paint job on it or something? Because it still looked gray and old. I think I, they I, did repaint it. Uh, um, Maybe like change the color palette, guys. I don't know. Turn it purple or something. Because I, I literally like was confused. I was like, is that the same one? I just saw it blow yeah. up in the last like, movie. It, it, I, it probably should have been spiced up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But like, like we uh, don't need the Iron Man color palette or anything like that. You know, we don't need the Hot Rod Red Enterprise. Although that would look pretty sick, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah um, cool. But just, just something, something else. You know. I yeah. think they had the budget for it this time, I think. Yeah. I think I think probably their thinking was like we're going to see this in literally one shot, you know. Like the whole thing takes place in San Francisco, like why are we going to mm-hmm. spend all this money? And it's like, well, because you know you're going to be making a fifth movie. That's why you do it. You yeah. Know, but <laughs> whatever. It is what it is. So. It's it, yeah, it's a small thing though. Yeah. But uh, I get still- I get yeah, I get the rationale behind the laziness stuff. <laughs> it's still a on. badass design, so you know, whatever yeah. you can forgive yeah. it. And 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 like uh, to that point about uh, you know similar designs. I guess like in the fucking military, you have the same fucking like cruisers and boats. See, they're all the same. So why not have the same design for this? Although yeah. you said, Mike, in the next generation, there are a bunch of ship designs, yeah. different designs. So. And we see a few here, like we see, like in Star Trek Three, you get the the Excelsior, um, yeah, which is actually, and that's the one where they were like, we have this model, we're going to use it every other week on Next Generation. You know, I mean, that's like, but that that's actually what the Enterprise B is, um, which we'll see further down the road. Even though they even modified that model, it's not the same. You know, and then uh, um, you, yeah, there's that science vessel thing and, and everything the grissom you know so you get a few different designs in the movie but um but yeah not not as many as you get you know over the course of seven years in next gen yeah i was just gonna ask a dumb question because i'm dumb uh again uh, if, if you're listening to this for the first time this show i'm the one who knows less about star trek even though wrath of khan is like one of my favorite movies of all time <laughs> but in the next generation that show they're they're in the enterprise right yeah yeah okay uh, it's they're in the d the big d. oh okay the d okay yeah. but it's i guess it's the name carries on even though right yeah it may, may, may it may be a different ship right, right. exactly okay so okay. yeah i got it yeah, yeah. um yeah so, so we've seen through the e because uh, the e is in the movies uh the okay. later movies so yeah um but yeah no this so, movie though <laughs> yeah oh yeah we yeah we, we i mean we talked like for the last seems like five minutes about the enterprise it doesn't even show up until the, it doesn't there's no enterprise for 99 percent of this movie they, they're weird, still right? yeah yeah it's weird but I, I do like that ship 
what's what's the name of that new Klingon ship they're on? The the Bounty? Oh, HSS yeah, yeah. Bounty? Mm-hmm. They, they, yeah, yeah, the name of the Bounty, yeah. Yeah. It, that's a cool, I mean, that's the Klingon Bird of Prey. You see that all over the place in like Next Gen 2 or whatever, where it's got the, the little wings that go up and stuff like that. Yeah. That's cool. It's a cool I, ship. I, I still don't buy that two whales can fit on that ship. I don't buy that. Oh my god! <laughs> it's another pet peeve I have of this movie. It's, uh, it's it's like the Millennium Falcon, you know. It's bigger on the inside than the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, something I really love about this movie in particular is that it, it keeps the the science fiction like eco friendly narrative of it. Like it's it's got something on its mind, you know. It's not just a fun adventure romp. It's like, yeah, we got to take better care of like the, we only got one planet. You know, it's not, we're not at Star Trek level yet where we can go all these other cool places and, and, and explore new things. We gotta, we gotta take care of this one first, you know? So yeah. it, it seems like an obvious metaphor and, you know, like, like everyone was like ragging on Avatar for like a decade, like, oh, it's so obvious. And like, but then no one talks about how, like, <laughs> the, how important those obvious themes are also. Yeah. So maybe. Do a healthy double feature of Star Trek Four and Avatar, which are both very good movies. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's my that's my takeaway from from this recent viewing. I want to make a list of blockbusters that go all out and focus on these themes, like important real world themes. I don't remember which Lethal Weapon did this, but which which Lethal Weapon had like an entire plot line revolving around apartheid, like Lethal Weapon Two, Two, yeah. right? Yeah, and I I love that stuff. And Lethal Weapon 2 whips, but I really want to read that Shane Black script, so I just always have yeah. to plug this in. Anyone who knows where to find Dirty, <laughs> dirty Play or Play Dirty, uh, let me know. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Somebody should make a comic book about that. Yeah. Get, get that official. Um, but no, I mean, my point is, like, yeah, I, I mean, I understand the criticism of Avatar, um, mainly because I give it that criticism sometimes no but, I, I get it too that used yeah. to be me too and now i'm just like ah it's solid sometimes you just need a solid framework yeah you know? but i mean i can't maybe i'm just being a hypocrite and saying i love it when movies like this do it like lethal weapon 2 and you know the voyage home um so maybe i just need a, a more open mind when it comes to avatar uh, but yeah but that's out of out of anything. This reminded me of Lethal Weapon Two of all things, so. <laughs> in a good there way. Go. Diplomatic. Community. Oh, K- Kirk and Spock make Riggs and Murtaugh look like little bitches. <laughs> do, do you know what was jarring? <clears throat> was the whole San Francisco 1986 thing, and it was it. How I don't even know how to put this into words. It was present day when it was released. But it feels so much like if you're writing it today and sent them into the 1986. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, ca- I totally get what you mean. Yeah, they capture 1986 so well that it it doesn't hurt it at all watching it in 2020. So that's it blows my mind that they picked present day when they released this to send them when they could have easily done like you know city on the uh, on the edge of tomorrow and had them be like in the 20s or something so on the edge of forever sorry on the edge of forever my bad again (laughs) to the gulag with you guy on this podcast who knows less about star trek than the other two guys um yeah that that's my point like it's i love that they chose 86 you know the 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 date they released this so as the point they went to so i don't know mike if they had any thought about going to any other time like why they picked i guess cost is maybe a reason I think part of it, I mean, to me, it just makes sense to do that because it's like, that's what people are going to relate to when they're watching the movie, right? Yeah. Like, you want to see, like, what what Kirk and Spock are doing in today's society, right? I mean, that, that, that to me makes perfect sense. And I can't remember. I'm sure that they talked about other time frames and stuff like that. I know, like, when we get to First Contact, they talked about a billion different time frames that they could send them to before settling on, you know, 2053 or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, it, it's just, you know, I think part of the process, but to me, it makes perfect sense for them to, to pick that, that year. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. And any, any final thoughts on uh, voyage home? Um, <clears throat> I do want to mention Catherine Hicks. Oh yeah. I think she's great in this. Um, 
I kind of, oh, this is something I wanted to talk about, and I'm, I'm glad I finally brought it up. Um, I don't think we've talked about this. We might have mentioned it some on Wrath of Khan, but the the whole thing about Kirk being, you know, oh, um, oh, not a womanizer, but you know, he's horny a lot, and he get and he, <laughs> and he gets the women. Yeah. So I and and uh, and uh, yeah, and going back to the episode from earlier, um, just. I, I buy I buy that with Chip in, 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 in the episode. I came falling up with her and like letting her go and like him being affected so dramatically. And oh, that line at the, at, at the end of um, City, uh, the episode is he he just goes, "Let's get the hell out of here." He says, "Hell," and I love that final moment. He sells it. Kirk um, Shatner sells it. Which that I mean, just to throw in there, like that at the time, you know, everyone's going crazy about Picard and how they say fuck like nonstop on that show, and you know, the, the, him saying hell like that, people did not do that on TV. That was the equivalent of fuck in yeah. 1966 uh, network television. It's so, it's jarring. It's jarring even today because yeah. I'm like, oh, this is Star Trek. Isn't it supposed to be, you know, yeah, like, you family know? friendly? And yeah. like they, they just do not talk on that like that. In the original series on a regular basis yeah so you know and, and saying all that uh i bought for sure um you know shatner and uh what's the character's name Catherine hicks's character jillian uh, jillian i bought those two like instantly and um i read on like might have been wikipedia or something where like uh nimoy uh, for some reason, was talking to Pix and Shatner or something. They had lunch, or, and they saw the chemistry between those two. And like, yeah, these two let's just make this, you know, subplot in Voyage Home. And I think it was a good call. And one of my favorite moments in this movie is at the very end <laughs> when Kirk's like, "Well, I don't even have your number." And she's like, I'll find you. And that was the perfect blow off. <laughs> it's like, yeah. she's never coming back, dude. Just just forget it, Kirk. <laughs> well, I, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Oh, I will say that because I never knew about the, the Eddie Murphy bit earlier that Mike was talking about, that would have been incredible if that yeah. role was like just just trade out the the, the actors for Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. I would have lost my mind. <laughs> It would have been a cool uh, a cool thing for sure, you know. Yeah, and then you just close out with the Beverly Hills Cop theme song. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, out of anything, that reminds me of this. I, I guess you call it stunt casting in Superman three, where they put in Richard Pryor. Yeah. Oh I mean, God, that's exactly yeah. it. That is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I I don't honestly know if it would have been for the better. Or I don't if if Eddie Murphy was in it, but I don't know. I mean, Mike, what I do think, you think? Yeah, guys, what do you think if it if it were Murphy in this versus Catherine Hicks? And I think we would start hearing not jump the shark, but jump the whale. <laughs> jump the whale. <laughs> I genuinely believe that's what would would have happened. But I would have loved it. You know. Well, see, that's the thing is I don't I don't think there would have been whales in it. Like I think that came after. Ah, uh, right. So I think you would have gotten a lot. I think I think it would have upped the humor, but you wouldn't get as much of a, um, you know, thematic uh, message going on there. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess depending on because like, <laughs> um, from what how you described it, it just would have been the theme would have been a conspiracy theory nut who, who was right. Yeah, right? who was right this whole time? So. Mm-hmm. That would have been wild, um, but I love that we, we didn't talk about with the whales that much. We just well, yeah, yeah we did. It, 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 I mean, yeah, it was important. I mean, obviously, it's still important. You know, save the whales, goddammit. it! Um, <laughs> but it's it's wild to think about that they also pulled that off, though. I love the whole whale thing, and I I don't know the state of the whales presently. I hope they're doing okay. <laughs> Man, I think yeah. we're still fucking up a little bit. We got to uh, do better. Yeah, they should just recycle more. But most importantly, overthrow CEOs and tyrannical governments. I guess the main question is: Did we learn anything? Did society learn anything from Eat the, the rich home? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, those are my final thoughts. Uh, I guess Diego, your final thoughts. Eat the rich. Uh, this is a great <laughs> film. 
It's a great film. It's a great Star Trek adventure. Um, it's this is one that is a delight for the whole families. City on the Edge of Forever is not. That's I think that's for a little older viewers. That might be a little harsh for a for a kid to watch. Um, so once you're you you have younglings of the right age, go ahead and show them that one. But Voyage Home, that's a that's a delight. I saw this when I was younger, and it's uh, it, it's it's kept a, a very special place in my heart, uh, regardless of. Whether or not some people still joke about it being the one with the whales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. one thing I forgot. <clears throat> it's not that I have a problem with this. It's just that maybe it's something they should have thought out more. The instances where the the crew of the Enterprise um, they hit a point where they go, "Should we be doing this? Should we be altering the past?" And they go, "What if we're supposed to do this?" Mm-hmm. It, uh, I don't know. It's not a huge problem, but maybe it should have been more well thought out. Like, did should they really have given like a, a transparent aluminum or whatever that was to that one guy? <laughs> oh, that was another thing that was changed in the book. You know, I mean, not as elegant elegantly, but uh, in the book, they're like, "Should you be giving it to this guy?" And he's like. Don't you know who that is? That's the dude who created transparent aluminum, you know, and it's like, yeah. okay. Yeah. I, I like, why? <laughs> How do we know that you didn't do it? I, I like that better. But, you know, I think it's, it's one of those problems that you always run into with time travel stories, yeah. right? It's, it's not, yeah, again, it wasn't a huge deal, but it's just like, I don't know. If I, I don't know. I think there's something to be like explored and said with more time travel heavy Star Trek things because that that those questions you bring up Marcelo are like questions I think we do need to like address in time travel stories at some point like yeah at what it, point does time become too malleable like like is time itself like its own ecosystem by that point you know like yeah. think about like these are compelling ideas um, but let me just say, given the state of the world, that watching Bones say like they call call like the healthcare system like what does he say like it's like fucking Stone Age or something like that barbarians yeah or barbarians yeah and yeah. I'm like yeah he's right <laughs> um, that was a little cathartic yeah. but uh, yeah yeah that's a I'd love to see a Star Trek movie kind of address those more head on too so yeah well I I guess okay I think I figured it out I think just now. Because this is such a romp and such a fun time and basically a comedy, I kind of forgave those issues where I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. It, Who knows? if, uh, like, yeah, Again, uh, when Kirk sold his glasses at the pawn shop and Spock was like, like uh, well, you know, weren't those a gift? And then he, Kirk kind of slightly says, well, maybe these are the same ones that he gave me. Who knows? Um, again, I, I think I, I can forgive it because it's a romp and I'm having a good time. And if it were more serious in tone, I'd probably have more of an issue. So that's how I feel about those little, I don't even, well, I don't, I don't even want to call them plot holes, but just issues I have with the time travel thing. Yeah. The time travel in this movie makes almost as much sense as the time travel in back to the future, <laughs> which is zero. Um, so, you know, it, it is, it's one of those things, but I think you're right. Marcelo and in, in that just like with back to the future the tone and everything you can kind of forgive it uh, you know it is what it is Star Trek has never really gotten time travel quite right I mean oh nine sort of does it this one definitely does not do it at all uh, but hey you know you look at like some of the people who are working on Star Trek now we've got um well, the showrunner of Rick and Morty, uh, the showrunner of uh, and creator of the Twelve Monkeys TV show, and Noah Hawley, you know, who did like Legion and stuff. They got some weird time travel people who are all working on this franchise, and hopefully, they're going to do some weird, crazy shit, and maybe it'll make sense. You never know. Oh, um, speaking kind of speaking of that, um, you you shared this on the on our group chat mike um oh, yeah yeah the fact that the guy in the bus who had the radio right the boombox yeah who is he <laughs> his name is kirk thatcher and he he was actually like a producer on this movie um oh. but he was the narrator on ephraim and dot he i mean he's he's worked in the in the film industry for years um one of the i mean probably most notably he's 
he- or or at least was heavily involved uh, with the Muppets. He wrote, I think he co-wrote Muppet Treasure Island. He directed a lot of the television stuff. So, you know, like he's always been like very hands-on behind the scenes guy. He wrote the music that is playing on the boom box in, in the scene. Um, so obviously super talented dude, but it's just great. Cause you see him. I mean, everybody knows him as, you know, the, the boom box guy with the Mohawk and he's also, uh, you know, narrator on, um, Ephraim and dot. And the other thing, which I forgot to mention, but Ephraim and dot, the, the voice of the, the enterprise who same thing on discovery, the voice of the enterprise now is, Jeanette Goldstein, which is amazing, you know, Vasquez, uh, you know, from Aliens, and uh, oh, yeah, I mean, for for years, and I mean, basically up until she died, Majel Barrett um, was the voice of of the Enterprise on the original series, Next Gen, even in you know the first JJ movie, and now that she's gone, you got to find someone else, and why not Jeanette Goldstein? awesome that's awesome anyway who is also in lethal weapon 2 so there's the connection wow (laughs) and they didn't brown her up for that one so thanks james cameron (laughs) i mean richard donner richard not james cameron uh that was a disaster but whatever yeah so all right and any any other final thoughts on uh the voyage home no no Um, it's good yeah it's It's really good I, I had a good time. I'm, I'm glad I'm revisiting. Well, I was going to say I'm glad I'm revisiting these movies, but we'll see what happens in the next few episodes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess the, the thing about, about this episode, which we didn't really talk about too, which is kind of very important for this show that we're doing is that this is the crossover movie, right? This is the one which reached the mainstream. It didn't just appeal to Star Trek fans. I mean, the first one made, the most money but this one made the second most money and you know adjusting for that star trek is on the big screen factor this is you know the most successful and uh i i just find that interesting because uh you know i mean we're talking about how non-trek fans respond to these movies compared to trek fans and and this was clearly the favorite in, in with with the, the masses even though you know there's a few people on twitter who are like fuck this movie so it, it's just it's just interesting that 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 is what it is also a bit of uh interesting trivia i'm sure people are going to find this absolutely fascinating um this is technically the first movie to have Dolby spectral recording sound, Dolby SR noise reduction, which was like the shit before digital, you know, happened. And um, officially, it's RoboCop, but they put it on prints of uh, Star Trek Four to test it out without advertising it to make sure that it would actually uh-huh. work. So this mm-hmm. is technically the first movie with Dolby SR noise reduction. Nice. Well, there you go. Nice. I hey, I found that interesting. All right. Cool. I did too. I go two people. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um. So next week, our movie is Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier. Hey, <laughs> the most critically acclaimed of the series, as far <clears throat> as I'm concerned. Right. Let me just <laughs> check my Rotten <laughs> Tomatoes. Oh no! And again, my question from like a few episodes ago: Is this the one where they fight God? <laughs> Yeah. Yes, finally. <laughs> Get to see them fight some some gods. One one god in particular. One singular. Yeah. Um and 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 to go along with this, we're going to be watching something and I'm super excited about this. We're going to be watching the the first two episodes of Star Trek Discovery. So, um, and those will be my first experience with Star Trek Discovery. That's perfect. That's the way it probably should be. Um, I I think those will be my first two episodes outside of Star Trek, outside of the original series. Really? I don't think I. I I might have seen one episode of like Voyager when Mm. I was like a kid, but I don't remember seeing anything other than the original series. So, here's my prediction. Um, by the time we end this series, uh, Marcelo will be into 
season three <laughs> of his Star Trek Deep Space Nine watch. <laughs> so I very seriously considered starting watch starting my watch first time watch of um, Next Generation this past week. Oh. So. Well, hold uh, off, and you can you can see because we're going to watch at least one episode of every single show, right? Okay, yeah. So you can you know get a little taste here and there, and then see what what your your particular. Uh, what I'll say, yeah, I'll say what's interesting about me doing these podcasts, and I'm being very selfish here talking about myself. Um, I mean, Mike, we did a Soderbergh podcast, and he ended up being my favorite filmmaker of all time after we finished. Yeah. And I, I, I did a wrestling podcast, which made me just watch more wrestling and do another wrestling podcast. And yeah, maybe you're right, Mike. At the, at the end of this journey, of this voyage, I'll be just the biggest Star Trek fan deep into Deep Space Nine. So, All right. We'll see. Listeners, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so, yeah. So, next week... Check out check out uh, first two episodes of Discovery, and then check out Star Trek V: The Final Frontier, and then you'll be all ready for our episode on both of those things. Uh, but until then, uh, Diego, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at the Diego Crespo on Twitter and the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon, where I'm doing a bunch of other retrospectives and uh, commentaries for things. And by the time this is out, you'll probably have the entire sequel trilogy commentaries to the star wars saga um we start at a low point and then we go to a high point and then we kind of just go a little lower but it's still a high point in my opinion so check that all out okay what about you marcelo of course talk from society uh, follow us on twitter i don't say that a lot but yeah at talk film soc uh, go over to the website, read us, listen to us, love us. Go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash talkfromsociety. You could be on there right now listening to these episodes, but, but if you're, uh, but if it's further in the future, you can go back and there's plenty of more you can listen to on the Patreon uh, commentaries, bonus episodes. But yeah, that's it. Do that, folks. Thank you. All right. And you can find me on filmdamagepod.com doing a show called Film Damage where we talk about film projection and little uh, insights on things like uh, which movies debuted, which sound formats, and all the rest of it. (laughs) Uh, You can also find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K and on Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. All right. I'm I'm super excited about next week. It's going to be a a whirlwind of emotions. Um, It's going to be it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, But until then, you guys ready for our our catchphrase? Uh, Yes, I'll quickly say, I know. Let's keep this catchphrase until further notice. But you know, watching this movie, Voyage Home, I kind of wish our new catchphrase would be Scotty and talking to a computer saying, "Computer." (laughs) because <laughs> that may be my favorite quote <laughs> from this entire movie and it's hilarious every time i think about it but no let's keep this catchphrase okay, okay. all right yeah okay okay, okay. ready ready uh, are we gonna do a countdown i guess so right yeah, yeah. Three. I can do a countdown. Oh, you're gonna do it oh you want you want to do the countdown no no you do it should, should we all do the okay. countdown <laughs> <laughs> all right three two one i i, I have had enough of you!